Yo, this is a conversation. It's the Cogent Code podcast. And you know where it's taking place in the homes, in the community, in the neighborhood of those that can relate to what's real in the world that we live in. This is Akil and CC. Welcome back to the Cogent Code podcast. Today's episode is about voter suppression in the United States. You hear people saying all the time, not my president, not my governor, not my mayor. A lot of times that's because they don't feel like their vote actually mattered. This episode is about the issue of voter suppression in the United States. We'll dive into the historical significance of voter suppression and talk about the current efforts that have been mobilized to diminish the American people's right to exercise their voice in a vote. And we'll make sure that we leave our friends out there with a number of approaches to make sure they don't get left out. So when this got looked up in the Urban Dictionary, there were probably several definitions of uh, voter suppression. But the one that we selected was a devious plot in which Republicans, although I uh, had spoke to Akil and said, I think it's politicians in general, try to prevent those who are likely to support uh, the other party from voting. But uh, recently, what we've really seen that this has usually been a African-Americans have been the target. Uh, the poor are likely the target and the elderly are likely a target. And there's many forms of voter suppression that we're going to get into and kind of explain to you the different um, types of voter suppression that we've seen in recent years and kind of how it's affected uh, the disenfranchised from not being able to cast a vote that they really feel means anything. So, um Go ahead, Gil. So before before we jump into the conversation, let's talk a little bit of history of voter suppression in America. Uh, first example that I want to give you, obviously, voter suppression started way earlier than this. But uh, on August 12th, 1890, more than 100 men gathered in the Mississippi State Capitol for a con- constitutional convention. In his opening speech, Judge Solomon Saladin Calhoun, president of the convention at that time, charged the delegates with a single task devise a way to keep black men from voting in Mississippi. Quote, this ballot system must be so arranged as to affect one object, he said. 20 years after the passage of the 14th and 15th Amendments granted black American citizenship and gave black men the right to vote. Quote again, we find the two races now together, the rule of one of which has always meant economic and moral ruin. We find another race whose rule has always meant prosperity and happiness and prosperity and happiness to all races. And guess who that is? These words ushered in 75 years of systematic systemic voter suppression in the United States, marked by toll uh, by poll taxes, literacy tests and violence directed toward black people and who whoever they didn't want to vote, who attempted to vote. But this wasn't the first time in U.S. history that these powers have disenfranchised others who they feared would wrest it away, nor was it the last. In the 1980s, a consent decree blocked the Republican National Committee from posting armed off-duty law enforcement at polling stations in minority neighborhoods. It also prevented them from sending targeted mailings to African-Americans about penalties for voting, for violating voting laws, mailing which were not sent to predominantly white neighborhoods as it has said to be. That decree expired in 2017. 
because the Democrats couldn't argue that this behavior had continued and that the Republicans had been in compliance. And so the judge said, allowed the order to expire. Voter suppression has once again become a part of the national conversation in the 2020 presidential election. President Donald Trump drew criticism in August when he acknowledged he opposed additional funding for the U.S. Postal Service because of a lack of resources would impede voting by mail by mail, excuse me, during the coronavirus pandemic. Today, we see suppression efforts in the form of purging the rolls, moving polling sites to hostile locations, shutting down polling sites, making it harder for people to register to vote by imposing new 11th hour requirements. And often these efforts tend to impact and burden certain people more than others. Black voters, Latino voters, Native Americans, students, and others. Let's get into the conversation. So when we think about voter suppression, we usually think about the 40s, 50s, and the violence people had to deal with uh, if they tried to vote. The uninformed would say or believe that suppression is a thing of the past and that it doesn't happen anymore. Sia, do you agree or disagree that we are dealing with voter suppression in 2020? Um, I, I know we are dealing with voter suppression in 2020, but, um, what I wanted to kind of point out is there are a couple of types of voter suppression that I was able to research. So one, um, being felony disenfranchisement, uh, meaning that those that had committed a felony would not, would be stripped of the right to vote. And I'm going to get into kind of the history of that, uh, in a bit, um, early voting rollbacks. So in some states, uh, you were able to vote um, early, but um, now you're not able to vote early. Um, voter roll purges, we've seen a resurgence of, um, although the voter roll has always been flawed in sometimes having people that no longer live in that area or district on the on the voter roll, what happens is they do widespread purges. And in some cases that affects people who actually still live there and do have the right to vote. Um, strict photo ID laws, which are laws where if your photo ID doesn't match exactly the voting roll, you are restricted and not allowed to vote in some states. And polling place closures, as you mentioned, um, and usually those happen in poor or um ethnically diverse neighborhoods where they choose to close the polls that are there. And statistically, uh, they've proven that it takes 45% um, longer time for people of color to place a vote in, in the places where uh, they've been restricted to these uh, single or just a couple of polling places where um, other voters in more affluent um, places, it's easier for them to vote. But um, all of these single things, I think, to me, um, although there's no real, you cannot prove exactly how it affects the total amount of voting and who would have or would not have voted, it's hard to track that. Um, a lot of historians believe that when one or two of these things are coupled uh, together, with it's a kind of a cumulative effect. And these suppression laws really have a big effect. Um, and I wanted to give an example that I found. It's a recent example, actually. Um, it's in the race of, uh, it was uh, Stacey Abrams. Yep. Uh, it was actually in Georgia, right? That's right. Uh, she was going to be the, she was going to uh, run to be the governor. And she was right, uh, she was running against Mike Kemp. 
And what's interesting about um, that race as Mike Kemp only won um, that uh, race by about, uh, they're saying about 50,000 votes. They're, uh, uh, they're predicting it was about that. Right. Um, and, and in that case in Georgia, there's, there's a lot of things that went on. Um, one, uh, I think it's important to point out that the states get to regulate the way that people vote. Um, so at that time, Mike Kemp was the governor when they put the laws into place that would determine uh, who could vote uh, in that election. Um, and 54, they estimate 54,000 to 85,000 people were unable to cast their ba- ballot on that day. Um, and 1.4 million people were purged from the voter roll of that half a million people should have had the legal right to vote and should ha- not have been purged, but couldn't be corrected after they already placed were not able to be uh, able to vote that day and were turned away. So uh, th- they cannot prove that Mike Kemp wouldn't have won anyway, but because the margin was so s- small and um, I want to kind of mention that in that case, uh, of the people impacted were African-American or people of color in the districts that purged the the voting rolls. So although we can't say whether he would have won won or not, that's why Stacey Abrams um, kind of held out and didn't concede right away and really wanted them to take some time to really recount the votes and make sure that every vote that was cast was counted and kind of challenged some of the unfair handling. There was also that day in Georgia, uh, voters were um, voting in some districts by uh, machine. It was an electronic machine. And a lot of the machines were having difficulties um, with resetting themselves when people were voting. And when people would complain, they'd say there's nothing we can do about it. So a lot of shady things going on that day. Um, and, and it's just important because that's very recent. I believe that that race was the last governor's race, right. And it was only a couple of years ago, maybe. Um, and so I think that, uh, it's important to, to, to state, just like you asked me if, if it's going on in 2020, I, I think it will go on in 2020, um, when we vote, uh, this time, but there's a lot of history that I think we can get into as the as the conversation unravels. So what do you think? Do you, do you agree that there's voter suppression? No, it's, it's absolutely happening. I mean, it's happening from, as I mentioned before, with, um, with this whole campaign against mail-in voting, which we've done mail-in voting since, since voting began in this country, there has been no sense of fraud or any other thing that would, would put us uh, in a place where we shouldn't trust it. Um, it's only being, you know, thrown out there as propaganda by those who think that they're going to lose if everybody gets an opportunity to vote. Um, you're talking about when you when you mentioned uh, Stacey Abrams and and Kemp. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, he was Secretary of State, so he was in a position where he was responsible for that um, for that you know for that for voting basically. And she tried to get him to recuse himself from that duty because he was obviously campaigning to be elected governor uh, <clears throat> against her. And he was taking actions as secretary of state to do uh, harm to the voting process 
Um, you know, and and so yes, that is an example. That's a that's actually a perfect example of how an election, in my mind, um, can be stolen. Um, we remember what happened with uh, Bush and Gore, you know, years ago, and you know, and how that the Florida you talked about um, purging the polls and and closing stations, voting places, and and that kind of thing um, that happened during that one. Um, and it's happening now, uh, you know, between, you know, those people out there that are supposed to be observing, um, but they're not. They're really actually um, bullying and terrorizing people. Um, we have, you know, I was in Georgia on that day that you talked about and saw thousands of people standing in line and waiting for hours. I'm talking about eight, 12 hours um, to to just exercise their right to vote. And uh and so the outcome was it was as it was. Um, we're dealing with it so heavily today, not just um, physically, but technologically. Uh, we're dealing with the, um, you know, uh, what we're seeing as far as uh, a lot of people talking about not voting or how unimportant it is to vote or, you know, those things to me is also uh, a form of voter suppression. When you have people online saying, you know, it doesn't matter, your vote doesn't matter. Uh, you shouldn't work. You shouldn't vote. You don't like either candidate. So don't vote. All of this don't vote um, propaganda and voice out there um, really is in place to make sure that people don't exercise their right to vote, whichever side they want to vote on. And, you know, and then kind of sway the outcome that way. So, yes, absolutely. We're dealing with it in 2020. I did want to bring up some facts about mail in voting, though, because there's been a lot of claims by this current president that. Um, that mail-in voting results in a high rate of fraud. And he actually, in, um, after he took office, a year after he took office, he, he had an um, investigation uh, a committee that looked into uh, fraudulent behavior, and it was actually disbanded eight months after it started because they found no evidence right. of fraud. Um, but um, in the history of mail-in voting, since we've had it, there's only been 372 suspicious votes out of 14.6 billion votes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be real for people to try to affirm it. And we saw that kind of um, with the Supreme Court in, um, in what many people would may not know. Um, and I, I want to kind of get into the Voting Rights Act, but what many people might not know is in 2013 and some people believe this was after Barack Obama had become president and there was some concerns about who voted in that election to right. initially make him president. Um, but the conservative five to four decision with mostly the conservatives conservatives making this um, particular ruling determined that, um, and, and it was a heavy blow to the Voting Rights Act because they determined that, again, states had the right to uh, ap apply a balancing test mm. as to what was in the straight state's best interest in voting, which allowed and made way for a lot of more voting suppression laws to come back onto the books. Because prior that, to that, when Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, uh, in 1964, uh, he basically made it so that the uh, states could not make laws to suppress votes um, without having some federal oversight as to what those would be. And uh, as a result of Lyndon Johnson 
doing that, the Voting Rights Act was renewed in 1970, 1975, 1982, 1992, uh, and 2006 by all of the presidents that preceded him. Um, but after 2008, when President Obama became president, like I said, there was uh, was changing the way people were voting. So uh, that's where you saw that Supreme Court, Court decision kind of come out after that. And that balancing test, a lot of people are who are, are legal analysts find that to be odd because most uh, amendments in the Constitution that are held deal, dear to us receive what's called strict scrutiny, which means that the state would have to have a very high standard to prove that there's fraud or something that would perpetuate uh, their action or suppression. But in that case, they determined that it was okay to just have a hunch or balance whatever the state believed their rights were. And so I find that to be a little bit dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's definitely an issue um, currently. And the fact is, is that that anytime that you uh, prevent the people from exercising their voice, um, there's a problem. You know, we are in a in in a country um, that touts democracy, democratic voting processes. And the fact is that the voice of the people that are elected officials work for us. We don't work for them. And, you know, and so when the people aren't allowed to vote who their elected officials uh, are, then it's a problem. You know, I read something in my research. The fact is that um, voting is a bedrock of American democracy. And if we are um, if we were truly being, um, you know, proponents and, and backers and, and believers of our Constitution, then everyone who is eligible should get the right to vote. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think you brought up something that I think in our communities gets brought up a lot is my vote doesn't really count. So why should I do it? Um, and um, the, the right to vote hasn't always been a right. Uh, in many right. cases, it's been a privilege and, and not a right. So in 1776, the, uh, the founding fathers with the Declaration of Independence um, said that all men were created equal, but they didn't put any kind of right to vote in any of that document. And then the con Constitution comes along and explains that not all men are created equal because mm -hmm. they owned slaves and that would have created a problem. So then slaves became three fifths of a human being. Right. So that right. would not make them a man, which would make them not be able to vote. And then um, the right to vote, uh, although, you know, it comes along, it ends up originally going to, it, it, they decide it's a privilege and not a right. And it belongs only to white men who own property. Mm -hmm. So even poor people at that point um, to, to, I think, our introduction didn't have the right to vote. And then the 15th Amendment gave black men the right to vote. The 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote, and that was in 1920. And then the Native Americans got the right to vote under the Native American Citizen Act. And then the 26th Amendment lowered the voting age from 21 to 18, and that was only in 1971. So in 2016, the last election cycle, 90% of the people in America had the right to vote, but only 50 56% used it. 
Wow. So one of the things I thought I'd bring up to you is um, with the right to vote, with all of the things that I kind of listed being so hard fought over, I mean, decades, hundreds and hundreds of years, right, by all of these different groups, why do you really think that people do not vote or think that their vote doesn't matter? Well, I think that they believe in what uh, what they've heard. Uh, I think it depends on depends on what side. And I, I think it's, you know, right now, politics is so polarized that there are definite sides. You're either in one spectrum or the other, and very few people are in the middle. Um, I think on one end, you know, those that may support this current administration and, and those who support um, this current re- administration, if they are thinking that their vote doesn't count, they're thinking that, hey, we already won. Um, why? Why do it? You know, why go out there and vote? Um, you know, it's not for us. Uh, and I think that on the other end, it's interesting because I have many conversations about this um, and with our community and folks are like, you know, I don't like either candidate, so I'm not going to vote. I don't like uh, I don't I don't you know, I don't believe in this or I don't believe in that. So I don't I'm not going to vote. My vote's not really going to count because of the Electoral College as opposed to the popular vote. Um, you know, we know in 2016, Hillary Clinton won uh, the popular vote by three million votes or something like that um, and did not win the electoral vote. So therefore, we have what we have. Uh, so, you know, I think that people who who are uh, disenfranchised by the whole voting system and the whole um, the issue of voting, um, they they just don't want to do it. And I think that also you have those that run into small barriers just kind of throw their hands up and say, you know, forget it. I don't I'm not going to do it. Oh, I couldn't get a ride to the poll or I had to work that day or, you know, and I, I just don't think that people see it as in, as an important or as important as it really is, um, you know, to their future, to their kids future. You know, um, we know right now Donald Trump has had the opportunity to seat three uh you know, he will have the opportunity. He's already done two, um, but have the opportunity to see three Supreme Court justices. And 51 federal judges. And 51 federal judges. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So with that being the case, you know, your vote matters. Those are lifetime positions, lifetime appointments. Yeah. And so that, you know, so so I think that, you know, I, I think maybe just people don't really get that. And I think that just, you know, I think they believe in in. Some of the things they hear, you know, um, your vote by mail doesn't matter or you, you, you know, it's going to get lost or this, that and the other is happening. And so, uh, you know, people kind of just throw their hands up and say, forget it. I mean, at the end of the program, I do want to address the vote by mail and some good habits that we can tell our viewers to do Absolutely. when they're voting by mail. I did my vote by mail today. So um, and I made sure to read all the directions and, and take some notes. But I, I do think that there there is something to um, what you're saying. People in power want to stay in power. So there's a term called ger- gerrymandering. And every 10 years. um States, let's, you know, let's give an example of a state has the right to um, redraw the lines and redistrict. Um, And it's and in that 10 year period, whatever political party that is in power gets to determine how those lines are going to be drawn. And the reason why that is super important is that determines how many representatives you have in the House of Representatives 
and it determines how many people you have that get can go into the Senate. And so if you draw the lines just so, you can make it so you have more Republicans or more Dem- Democrats that most likely will be elected based on those who vote and their political parties. So I think uh, it's really important just to realize how powerful it is uh, when you do have a vote and you do use it, because there are a lot of powers that be that are um, against us. The other thing about um, I think that's interesting about the right to vote and whose vote counts is that over time it was never intended that as the population grew, that the number of people in the Senate or the House of Representatives remained the same. It was supposed to grow with the population as it grew. And it is not doing that, right? It, de- it depends. Um, and it's been proven that presidents, even in state voting, has um, you know prevented like the District of Columbia is not a state, right? Um, Port- Puerto Rico that they don't get a right to vote in, in, in our elections. And, um, and then, you know, uh, when Hawaii became a state that could vote, it was also out of political incentive because they believe that that party at the time believed that it was going to make it easier for them to come into power. So I just want people to stay woke. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and not, um, not, you know, really think about, um, how many people fought and, and, and died for your right to vote um, and had gone through tremendous amount of strife, been beaten. And uh, there's just so many things. But but just when you think about, oh, I'm not going to vote, if, if it's easy as putting a ballot in the mail, then you can't do that for, for a country. And you're just going to let laws and judges and Supreme Court judges be put in place with you not having any anything to do with it. And also I, I really have a problem with people who complain when they don't vote. Right. I, I, I'll i ask, right. did you vote? And if they say no, but I still can complain because I live here and I'm like, well, you don't, to me, you didn't want the voice. So right. I don't really, you know, I don't know what we're talking about right here. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think that um, I think it goes back to, and we're talking about, um, you know, belief and really kind of knowing um, or, or understanding and believing that your vote counts. Uh, I think that, you know, I think that most of us, if we find whatever the topic is, if we find that we have a, a stake in it or that it's going to impact us personally, um, you know, we go back to voting. And a lot of times when people talk about voting, they're talking about, you know, every four years they vote for the president of the United States. Well, you know, in less time than that, we have Congress, Right. We have the Senate and the House. Um, Four and six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And in sometimes even, you know, in two years, um, there are, you know, there are elections on the local level. Right. So, you know, when we talk about voting, we have to talk about it on the, in, in the sense of not just what's happening on the federal level every four years. We have to talk about it on the local level and the fact that your school district um, you know, boards and your local judges and your local sheriffs and those people, those are all elected officials. And so if you don't vote on those levels, then you, like Sia said before, you shouldn't be complaining about pl- police brutality in your area. You shouldn't be complaining about disenfranchisement um, when it goes to justice and in the court systems because you didn't vote for those people. You shouldn't complain about um, education that is not not 
um, promoting, um, you know, ethnic studies and and all of those things, women's studies and those things that we we need for equity and equality um, throughout the you know throughout our society. So um, so voting, you know, and voting is suppressed on all of those levels as well. So uh, we really really encourage you not only to you know get woke on you know what's happening federally, but definitely on your local level as well. Well, I'm going to bring up another example that I found to be kind of interesting, and it, it was a little troubling to me, and it just really cements your point, is that in Florida, um, there there was a big debate, and, and it also came up in California, I just saw it on the ballot, about felons um, being being able to restore their, their right to vote. Um, do you think that people, and, and then I'll get into this example, do you think that people that have served their time and paid their debt to society should have the right to vote? Absolutely. I think that if you have, if you have, quote unquote, um, paid your debt to society, if you were, if you did the time that you were required to do, um, you paid the restitution that you were required to pay in order to, you know, kind of get back to zero, then I think you absolutely should have the right to vote again. Um, I think that that was a, that was another voter suppression um, win for those who, you know, who, who don't want to see, uh, see the general population vote. If you think about, um, you know, one in four black men um, are either arrested or in prison um, at some time, some point in their lives. And you think about voter suppression and you say that you can't vote if you get a felony charge and go or a felony conviction, then there you go. You know, you just knocked out a whole section of the population. Um, so there, there are many, many, you know, many, many kind of sly, not kind of the obvious ways that voter suppression has been happening. And that that is one. And I think that if you have done the time, no matter who you vote for, what side of the aisle you kind of stand on, or if you're liberal or conservative or, you know, anything, then you've done what you were supposed to do to kind of get back to zero and you should have an opportunity to vote. Yeah. So two points. I'm going to give this example and then I'm, I'm going to make a point that you just kind of made me think of. So in Florida, under Governor Charlie uh, Chris, uh, from 2007 to 2011, uh, convicted felons that were originally stripped away their right to vote for life, no matter if they served their time or not, um, received automatically their right to vote back under Charlie Chris. And then there was an election and Rick Scott took off office. And he decided that in order for felons to get the right to vote back, that they need to to appeal to him, to him and his cabinet in person to get the restored uh, right to vote back. In his eight years in office, he only restored the right to vote to 4,000 felons. Okay. Then after he served his eight years, he went on to take a seat in the Senate. Mm. By a very thin margin, but many people believe if he would have restored stored the right to vote, the outcome may have been very different. Absolutely. So if you think that politicians are not very intentional with their actions, you are not, you're not correct. And I don't know, and I didn't follow that race back in the day, but the fact that this is very disturbing to me because, um, you know, to your point, um, the way that black men um because when the the right to vote for black men was given um in the 1800s actually 
um, they basically said that all men were created equal. Right. But what they failed to say is that, and what they, what you saw happen right after one year after is that many States started passing laws that said, if you had a felony that you could not vote and what they would do is put a lot of Jim Crow laws on the books and other laws on the books that would cause black men to get a felony for very, very little things. So let me tell you, you have so you have slavery ending, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, immediately after slavery ended, you had hundreds of thousands of slaves now vagrant, right? Homeless. Mm-hmm. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? Guess what? One of the one of the felonies that you can get was homelessness. Homeless. Oh, exactly. yeah, I know. And yeah. they and and they rounded rounded up, you know, uh, black folks and former slaves all over the place, all over the South, and put them in jail for free labor for that as a penalty for being homeless after they freed them from from slavery, so called freed them from slavery. Um, you know, into homelessness and destitute. So, right. you know, because you're, you still could be, you could still be created equal uh, allegedly, and then not be unequal in some other tricky way, right. right? Such as uh, grandfather clauses, like you you talked about. If your grandfather could vote, then you could also vote. Right. Then there was um, what they called is a, a lack of education. They thought uh, you had to take understanding tests. So your understanding, and that was also to prevent people who spoke a language other than English from mm-hmm. voting, right? Because if you couldn't pass the test, you couldn't read the test, literacy test, then you couldn't vote. So they were trying to not only do that to people who were black, but people who were not English speakers. And then also, um, they also had literacy tests. And, and an example of a literacy test was how high is up? Was right. one of the questions right. on the literacy test. Do you know how high is up? I don't. I, I yeah, it's it's high. Okay, <laughs> but I'll tell you though that the I mean you know uh, the main point I think one of the main points in this also and when we talk about voter suppression and we mentioned it earlier is that these tests and the, and these all these things that you're talking about um, these voter suppression activities were not across the board. They weren't in every community. They weren't in every uh, neighborhood. They weren't in every state. They were specific and they were targeted to folks who they who those in power absolutely did not want to give a voice. So let's just be clear. Those same literacy tests probably could not be passed in other communities. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. they were only applied. They were only applied to certain communities. The same. There, I mean, I could go on with that for a long time, but let's talk about, let's bring it all the way back to uh, 2020. Cause I think there's another fact I looked up that was super disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to mail-in ballots, um, there's one to 2% chance that your, your mail-in ballot would get rejected. Right. Um, but uh, for, f- they found that um, the percentage of people who get rejected over 65 is But the percentage of voters that get rejected from 18 to 21 is 5.4%. Wow. Of those voters do not get their votes accepted because sometimes they don't sign where they need to Mm -hmm. and or they don't date it. And 
what that tells you is that the newer generations of new time, you know, new voters, right? Probably first time voters, maybe second time voters. Um, is this really important that we kind of give you some tips on how to vote? So and you don't need stamps always, but make sure you have stamps just in case. Right. Make sure you sign in the right spot. Make sure you date it. Make sure you get your votes in early, mail them in early and track them. You can track them now. You can uh, make sure you use dark ink when you're voting because it says it specifies to use dark ink. If you use light ink, it might not pick up your vote. And also um, it's recommended that you drop your vote off in um, voting locations and not through USPS if you don't trust them. Um, so I think that all of those those things are really important. I kind of wanted to put it out there because I, like I said, I voted today. So I went through the situation that I was really diligent and careful because, um, you know, we're, we're in a coronavirus time. I do want to bring up though. So coronavirus is not um, being recognized as an excuse to uh, mail in vote in some states where you have to have a valid excuse for mailing in your vote. Uh, they're not accepting coronavirus, which I think is so cuckoo right. as uh, a reason. Now, we know that this current president also has taken very strange acts, actions against the USPS. Um, um, and um, the president has stated that the reason he's not funded the USPS is because he's opposed to mail-in voting because of the high rates of fraud. As I stated, there was only 372 cases out of 14.6 billion um, that's suspicious votes. That doesn't even mean that those, those suspicious votes were actually invalid. It just means that they were suspicious in some way. Right. Um, so it, it's just totally false. And I just feel like, um, it gives politicians this, this way to kind of, you know, I don't know, cloak their, their power and privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things with the coronavirus, which is interesting, and I thought, what what could the impact be, is that with the coronavirus, we have a lot of older people passing away of this virus. That's right. Um, and I would think that if the older people, the population that we saw disproportionately passing away from this virus were Republicans, potentially, or, or votes that they would wish that were cast, I'm wondering if there would have been a more aggressive response to the virus. And I don't know that to be true. So I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy theory, but I just think it's all kind of strange that they are not saying don't vote in person, that they're like, they're not protecting the general public from the spread of a virus that the people who are dying from the virus happen to be from certain um, either people who have preexisting conditions that they don't potentially want on their affordable healthcare right. program. Uh, you know, people of color are dying. Um, so, and older people, right? Mm -hmm. So all interesting, except for older white men tend to be Republican voters. So that's an interesting situation. And I'm, I'm wondering what happens with this election, um, just based on, you know, whether or not they're going to get out and vote, whether or not they're going to stand in the lines for the states that have done this kind of you know, you can't vote by mail. Are you going to stand in the line for hours? That's right. Uh, what exactly is going to be the outcome? And like I said, with other voting suppressions laws, we've seen 
we don't know what the single impact of any of those things are, but we we have seen cumulative impact, right? And very small margins of winning uh, in, in some cases. And, and one thing I wanted to bring up, and I, I brought this up before we, we started, is that um, the Democratic Party in the past in the South was actually the party that had more participation in voter suppression. And they were very, very successful in, in the South. They had, um, over the years that they had put a real effort into suppressing the vote, um, only um, 2% of the African-American population was registered to vote by, they, by the time they were done. Um, but now uh, some people feel like, and I think in the definition we have, feel like the, uh, the, um, the, the shoe is on the other foot and it, it tends to be more conservative parties that tend to want to suppress the vote. Um, so why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, suppression, it's switched from what used to be the Democrats, which now seems like the conservative nature went on to the, the Republican Party? Well, it's interesting. I mean, that that whole kind of piece of history is interesting because the the, the Democratic Party at that time, as you were um, talking about, were, were popularly known as the Dixiecrats, right? So we're talking about the very very racist, very, the segregationalists, uh, we were talking about, you know, those who enforced heavily Jim Crow and, and all of those really, um, terrifying, uh, you know, to live in those times, uh, had to be the rise of the Ku Klux Klan and all of these things, um, was going on during that time. And that was in that, that period of time, obviously, um, we know going further back than that, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, Right. So, I mean, um, so so if we talk about, you know, up to a certain period of time. That's how it was. And at some point, I don't I'm not going to um, quote any history on that because that's you know, I don't know it um, word by word. But I will tell you that at a certain time that flipped um, Democratic Party uh, became the party of the people more um, became the party definitely of minority groups and liberal groups and and that and that's where, you know, that's where we stand today um, to your question on why, why those that are in conservative areas, because they are afraid to lose power. It's all about power. Um, you know, I would say second to power is money, but it's definitely all about power. Uh, and so when you, you know, when you mobilize uh, the voices of the masses, um, when you look at the fact that that. The conservative, the population wise, democratic wise, the conservative population is shrinking uh, in this country. Then those in those in those sections will do everything they can to maintain power in any way they can. I mean, look at what's going on right now. Four years ago, we uh, we had, you know, Lindsey Graham and all of these Republicans talk about how, um, you know, there's no way that you should be able to uh, nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice in the, in the, during an election time, right? All yeah. of them have reversed, reversed their, you know, their, their uh, position on that now that we are where we are right now. So well, I think that it's yeah. just a point of everybody who, those, those folks who uh, are in power want to, want to maintain power and morality, what's right. Any of that goes out of the window when it comes to that and hence, you know, our subject about voter suppression as well. 
Yeah, um, I, I think also just staying woke uh, about um, some, and people might not like me to say this, but some immigration laws and some of the things that you see happening with the dreamers. Um, uh, if you if you think about it, um, they're proving that um, there's a lot of uh, color coming into just the United States in general, and um, it doesn't mean necessarily that those are liberal votes. Um, but there are, there is, there are a lot of, um, people marrying people outside their race. There's a lot of mixed children. There's a lot of immigration that's, has been allowed and more free flowing in the past. And, um, when you, uh, restrict immigration and you kind of look at what the effect long-term will be when you do that, it also will impact who can vote in the future, right? Because if you restrict immigration, immigration, they don't become citizens, they don't have children who are American citizens. There's a lot of things that I just not that I'm saying they're conspiracy theories, but I really want people to stay awake, and not poo poo something into its own sidebar and box because the impact, even with the Supreme Court appointment and kind of trying to rush that through 20 something days before an election is because if for some reason the votes are disputed, and you have a packed court that's conservative and the dispute is with a conservative president, potentially that could sway with the outcome of that decision. Like that's we right. saw in B- Bush v. Gore. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's super important that people stay woke and just paying attention to the slight hand that's twisting certain things because it actually does have a big impact on the outcome over time of laws um, how we live in this society today and and what stays in power. And to your point, the electoral college is also something that people have begged to get reexamined because it gives a lot of power to the least amount of population and the p- population that actually occupies more of, uh, of the United States doesn't get an equal amount and people think they do, but they don't. They don't get an equal amount of say. So just because the popular vote of the people says one thing, it doesn't mean the outcome of the election ends up being that way because at the electoral college, the states just, they still have a right to decide who they give their delegates to. Right. Right. But what's interesting about that though, is in order to become delegates, um, many of those delegates are elected as well. And so, you know, it's so, so important to vote. That's why I said, it's not just important to vote on one level, on the federal level. It's important to vote in your states. It's important to vote in your local municipalities because that way you also have an impact or potentially have an impact on who those delegates are for your state. So where you have, you're battling uh, a popular vote situation where you're battling actually a, the electoral college you could be in a position to make sure you influence that in that way as well. I think that people get disenfranchised about voting. And I think that's part of a narrative that gets pushed to keep people from voting, um, to let them know, hey, look, you know, it's not the popular vote that that elects. It's the Electoral College. And so your vote is not going to really matter. Right. So it's really important for people to understand that, you know, even with the Electoral College, the more votes um, that we have, the better, um, because then it's, you know, it becomes overwhelming for those who are, quote, who are the delegates to to make the right vote. You are not going to be in a state where your state has overwhelmingly voted for 
uh, one party or one candidate um, rather than the other. And then you do opposite of what your state says. Right. The people in your state says. And so um, so that's very, very, very important. Uh, We want to make sure that people understand that as well. And one thing I want to say before we kind of close the podcast out is that um, I think that although we're one of the oldest democracies in the world, right, um, I think we could take a page out of some of the other countries, democracies that came behind us. Like, for instance, um, the it's not a right to vote. It's a duty to vote in some states there. I mean, in some countries there, it's a duty to vote. So you have to vote. Um, they hold elections on the weekends, not on a Tuesday. Right. And so you have as much time as you need to go and make sure that you can make that vote count. Um, and, um, being able to register to vote is automatic. It's an automatic situation that happens. You don't have to take any, extra action to have the, to have that duty or right. Um, and it's something that the democracies take serious and really encourage in most other countries that are considered democracies. And we still, um, lag behind because I think sometimes we want to, um, hold so tight to the, these, these documents that were in 1776 and in the 1800s and those type of things, which yes, is the foundation of our democracy, but was never intended to be the founding fathers did not intend that the constitution and the documents that the bill of rights and the things that we have that um, have transformed, they, they, they intended it for it to move when society and right. and culture moves right they didn't intend for it to be so frigid that it doesn't expand and i think that those in power who want to stay in power it's very convenient to pull that card when it keeps the status quo well and let's just be i mean let's let's you know i i may um may counter that just a little bit to the just to the point that um maybe they did intend for it to be I mean, if we if we read some of the writings and we, you know, we understand the fact that they were slave masters as well, um, that they did, um, you know, they did believe in owning slaves. They, they had slaves historically that they, you know, they had certain beliefs about different people, especially different people of different colors. Um, we know how they felt about the native and indigenous folks. We know how they felt about black folks. So, I mean, let's just not, let's, let's be clear that even if to your point, Sia, even if they did believe that this was the doctrine forever, we don't have what they did put in there was that these laws can be amended, that these laws can be changed, that these laws can be um, completely eliminated that, you know, and so there are functions in our um, society and in our political process that allows us to elect people who represent us and then go after and to make those changes that we're looking for. So, um, so re- whether they, they intended it to, to be a living, moving, uh, document or not, it still is. And so we have the opportunity. And that's the other reason why, um, countering voter suppression is so important for us to be aware of voter suppression and for us to take this voting seriously. Um, I just wanted to add a couple things in before. I know you said we're closing up, but the um, a couple things is that voting should not be uh, you wake up that day and you go, the first time you looked at the ballot. 
right, is when you get to the ballot booth, right, the voting booth. Um, you should do some research ahead of time. So there's some things that I think that we can tell you um, ahead of as we close this up uh, that we think are good practices and good ideas for you to as you go out and vote and those things that will probably help you to overcome voter suppression. So a couple of them. One um, at this point, and we're talking about today is uh, Sunday, October 11th, 2020 uh, in most places in the nation voter registration is done, right, for this particular election. Well, so, some, some, some states in California, you can actually go, you can, some places you can actually go that day. So And it, vote and register on the day that you're voting? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So listen to that. If you're in, make sure you check your voter registration status. And if you are able to vote, um, make sure that you get yourself um, there. Second thing is, where's your voting place, right? Where's the polling place? Um, you know, it can it can change from what it was last year. So make sure that you are just you're not showing up to the wrong place. Make sure you check the hours that they're open. Um, if you don't know what to bring to the polls, uh, you can go to ACLU.org or you can go to other. I'm sure there are other air, um, sites that you can go to and find out exactly what you need to bring to the polls in your particular state. Every political party has a voter guide that is going to direct you to whatever they your party feels you should vote for. Although I'm with Akil, especially on the propositions and the judges, you need to do your own research before you get there because proposition language is very tricky and often is opposite of what the proposition actually will do. That's and right. so you will vote the incorrect way. So I definitely recommend that you check your party's website or, you know, it could be, you know, the women's league, there's so many references, progressive, you could go on the press, but you could go on the Republican website. I did that today um, just to take a look at kind of where they were voting on the propositions to see where, what my, my thoughts would be right. so many places. And there's, and, and there's a lot of nonpartisan sites as well um, that just give you, you know, um, I think that one of the things that we get afraid of sometimes is that, okay, well, if I look at what is this source, you know, um, is this, you know, is this a conservative source? They're going to lean this way. If is it a liberal source it's going to lead this way? I think that it's, it's important. Um, whichever way you lean, you personally lean, lean, it's a good idea to make sure that you go and, and, and read some of the nonpartisan stuff. One other thing I talked to my aunt today and I'm going to give her props. She, um, had directed me to, uh, a, a kind of a website that showed me how to follow the money, money. So follow the funding of the propositions yes. to see yes. who was actually funding them so that I could, and see who was benefiting and see who put them, placed them on the ballot. I highly recommend that because um, coupled with all the things that Akil uh, suggested, you, you do need to know why, why and what, the reason is that it's being placed on the ballot, why it's being fund funded. And sometimes you can see it based on who's behind, who's backing that, that pr right. particular proposition. That's right. Next one is um, voting early. See, I already said she voted today um, by mail. I will be voting tomorrow in Georgia's early election in Cobb County here. Um, tomorrow hours opens up on October 12th. Um, early voting in person goes uh, a certain amount of days, dates, uh, and then obviously the mailing and the absentee. So make sure you find out how you're going to vote, especially if it's early. Um, next thing is what the what are your 
uh, rights on election day and what what do you need to do on election day? A lot of these things, like I said, you can go to various websites to find out, but you do need to find out this needs to be a strategic um, plan for you as you approach voting. Um, and also, like I mentioned before, but it's super important is if you vote by mail, track your ballot, make sure that it actually yes. makes it to its location that it's supposed to make it to. Um, what I found today is that at the very top of your ballot, um, at least in California, you tear off a little slip, which has an ID for your actual vote. Mm-hmm. And you can put that into the website and actually track your ballot. They also have scan bars now that it has like a scanning code. So you can also scan that, save it in your phone and track how your ballot actually makes it. Um, They do because this election, they expect a lot of people to be voting by mail. Um, Voting early is super important because um, you want them to be able to count it before they determine a winner. And this time around, they're actually worried that there may not be a winner determined on election night, that we may have a winner determined up to 20 days after the election. So uh, do it as early as possible. It's going to define, I think, and really kind of show who the the winner is earlier than election night. I don't, I, I get nervous on election night. I Right, me too. It's, it's stressful. <laughs> me too, which is why it's also most important that we're giving this information. So I'm going to continue on. There's only a couple more. Uh, one are your, what are your general rights on election day? Your rights are if the polls are closed uh, while you're still in line, stay in line. Um, they have to take you while you're still in line. Uh, if you make a mistake on your ballot, ask for a new one. Uh, if you the machines are down at your polling place, ask for a paper ballot. If you run into any problems or have any questions on election day, there are election protection hotlines that you can uh, that you can you can call. Um, there's a couple other things. If your name is not on the list, um, you know voters are entitled to a provisional ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, ask the poll worker to double check if your name. Make sure they're checking the spelling correctly. These are all things that, you know, we're trying to get you guys to understand or at least to share with other folks when it comes to um, some really kind of low lying tactics on preventing you to vote. Sometimes, that you know, you may not speak English well or they say you don't speak English well. You can still you can still vote if you have a disability. You can overcome that. So there are things that you definitely just need to make sure that you are not um, allowing folks to interfere with your rights to vote. Also, you need to check your ID to make sure it matches the name that you've placed in the registrar. Um, You can do that prior to actually going to a polling place to ensure that they cannot question whether your ID is a mismatch. And that can be a very easy thing if you put Leo and your name's Leonardo, you need to match it exactly the way and and your ID should show the way that you've registered or you need to make that correction. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, as we wrap up, I think it's it goes with a lot of things that we uh, you've heard this kind of saying um, with a lot of things that we've experienced in the last few years, especially in 2020. And that is uh, if you see something, say something. If you see some voter suppression happening, um, say something. Some some examples of voter intimidation are aggressively are being aggressively questioned uh, about citizenship, criminal record, or other qualifications. That they can't do that um, if they falsely representing you know um, themselves as an election official. If they don't have actual official election official um, credentials, they are not. Uh, other forms harassment. Um, you don't need to speak English to vote. 
Understand that you do not have to speak English to vote in any state. As a matter of fact, uh, you don't need to pass a test to vote in any state. So these are just some things that we want to make sure that people understand as you're getting out there to vote. We want to fight voter suppression um, in 2020 and forward and understand that this is a long game. This is not something that's just happening now, something that you're the only one uh, facing, something that's been going on since the beginning of voting in the United States. And also, whether you like the candidates on the ballot or not, it's still going to have an overall impact on your life. So consider maybe not just because you might not like what they do on one issue, really consider them as a total candidate um, and, and vote, vote anyway. And there's plenty of, like I said, there's judges, there's mayors, there's propositions, there's local measures. There's so many things on that ballot that you need to vote for. Um, so I really encourage you also, Black people, please don't vote Kanye West and Rocky Levy, something that I saw today on the, I just was like, you've got to be joking. And not just because, you know, I, I don't like Kanye West. It's nothing like that. But don't throw your vote away to That's a situation right. that is not Gonna it's not a joke, man. Legit. It's not. A, this is this is a very serious time in our country. And there's a lot of issues that are hanging in the balance. And it's not the time to try to vote for, you know, someone who actually isn't going to take the office or be serious about the implications. And not that Kanye West isn't smart. It's just that I don't think he's truly ready to be a vice president because he's on there as vice president, not president on the California right. ballot. Right. So. All right, folks. So, you know, we try not to get too preachy on this, but we really, really, truly are passionate and believe in this in this subject and the fact that everybody's voice uh, through their vote should count. So thank you again for joining us on the Cogent Code podcast. We look forward to talking to you again. Peace. Bust, 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 bust.